Good morning, church. My name's John. I serve as one of the pastors here. I'm excited to teach today, but before I jump into the text this morning, I need to confess to you something. Uh, I might be the only person in the room who has ever received a lifetime ban from a ride at Disney World. I know, shocking. <laughs> shocking. The... Uh, <laughs> You all might be familiar with the Antique Cars Ride. It's a ride of cars that are old, antique-y, kind of look like those old Disney movies. I know, young people, you probably don't know this very well, but there were these old antique cars, and they were on this metal track that went around, and you had the illusion that you actually had some control, like that you could go left and right, but really you just were hitting up against this metal track that took you around. I don't even know how, how far it was. It was not very, very far. What you did have control of, though, was the gas and the brake. So you could go a little bit faster or you could slam on, your, on the brake. So my family's at Disney World. We all pile into the antique cars and, and we get some instructions from the very, like, eager and excited Disneyland antique car guy, worker man. And he says, there's only two rules. The first rule is that you have to leave ample space between you and the car in front of you so that they can have a joyful experience. The second thing, and this is strictly prohibited, is you are at no time allowed to actually make contact with any other cars on the track. So do not smash into the car in front of you. So my mom and my sister, of course, are in the car in front of me. I'm 10 years old. I spend the entire ride slamming into the back of them the entire time. So we make our way around the track. We get back into the garage. And I see my mom make her way to the, to the worker, the guy that's working the ride. After a few seconds, the guy absolutely makes a beeline for me. My mom goes to the exit, and the guy says, that woman just told me you spent the entire time smashing into the back of her. You are banned from this ride for life. That was my sentence as a 10-year-old. I've never been back to the ride. I tell you this story because it makes me love my mom. This is my mom. This is literally a handful of very similar stories about how my mom operated. My mom was strict when she needed to be, but she was also someone who gave me a ton of freedom to wander and explore. She's the one that taught me about respect, respect for all people. She taught me the value of integrity and honesty and hard work. She raised four very active and often not very compliant children. And of course, she was not perfect. She was not perfect. But in so many ways, she was the perfect mom for me. And the thing that I am most grateful for from my mom is that my mom is the one that brought me to Jesus. My mom is the one that shared with me the gospel. When I was about seven or eight years old, my mom shared with me who Jesus was and what he had done and, and why we should follow him and, and give our lives to him and what he had done on the cross to save us and the resurrection that, that he did to, to conquer death and our opportunity to live in heaven someday. My mom is the one that shared with me all of that about Jesus. My mom brought me to Jesus. And so I tell you this story today, not just because it's Mother's Day, 
but because in our passage today, we have mothers who are bringing their children to Jesus. Would you turn with me to Luke 18? We're gonna look at verse 15 through 17. The text says people. When we hear the word people here, we can envision mothers, all right? So people, mothers, were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. It's a great passage. I love this, it's popular, I love this passage, right? I love it a lot because it, it shows us really the heart of Jesus, who Jesus really is. Like, it, like the heart of Christ is on display here for us this morning. We've been making our way through the book of Luke and some weeks the text before us has been challenging. Like we've had to do some heavy lifting and some work to understand what Jesus was doing in the culture and the context and, and how it applies to us today. But this morning, we have just three verses. And truth be told, they're, they're pretty straightforward verses that's happening, things that are happening here. Pretty straightforward teaching. In fact, the three verses make a perfect three-point sermon, right? Everybody's got to love that. So today I'm going to look at each verse. We're going to make a, an application from the three verses that we have today. So let's look at verse 15. People, again, mothers, were bringing babies to Jesus, bringing children to Jesus, to have Jesus bless them, or maybe have Jesus heal them, or maybe as a lay a hand on them to, to protect them, to help them grow strong and in the Lord. And Jesus is, is, is laying hands on these babies and encouraging these, these children and their families. People are bringing their children to Jesus. This isn't that hard to understand, right? Even in our modern context, it's not unusual for, for people, for parents, to bring a baby or a small child to someone who is significant, right? People bring babies to pastors to bless them or to, the, to a priest or, or to the Pope. Some people want their child to be touched by or held by a, a famous athlete or a celebrity, right? To, to have a blessing on them or, or something. We can all picture in our minds the, the awkward photos of presidents trying to hold babies, right? While their parents look on with big smiles. This is what's happening here in the text. People are bringing their babies, their children to Jesus for, for something special to happen in that child's life. The modern day application here is not that shocking. This is what we should be doing too with our children. We should bring our children to Jesus. Introduce our kids to Jesus, who he is, what he's done why we should trust him and know him. This is the job of parents, bringing our kids to Jesus so that he can care for them, so that they go to him in their times of need as they grow, sharing with our children the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
This is the, the primary work of parents. The primary work of parents is bringing and introducing our children to Jesus. So let me be clear here. Mothers, fathers, this is not the work that we outsource to someone else. Our children's ministry here at GEBC and our student ministry here at GEBC does not exist to do this for you. Those programs and those ministries exist to help you, to strengthen what you are doing in your child's life as the primary faith influencer and disciple maker in your home. This is the job of parents to raise their kids knowing, following Jesus, understanding who he is and and what he has done for them. So moms, as you go about your day, talk to your kids about Jesus. Dads, as you go about your day, talk with your kids about Jesus. Make Jesus the center of your home. Make Jesus the the center of your home of your lives. Paul writes in Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is our primary job as parents. Help our children follow Jesus to instruct them from God's word what is good and holy and righteous. Raise them in the faith so that they live lives for Jesus. The truth is that I fear that too many of us are spending the very limited, the very precious time that we have with our children to instruct them in a myriad of other things. We spend our time making sure that they believe and understand a certain political ideology. That they'll they'll think like us on these issues. Or we spend a significant amount of time training them and teaching them and shaping them in sports or in music or in academics. We invest all this money and all this effort and all this time thinking that if we just send our kids to Sunday school for an hour on Sunday morning, that they'll be fine, that the work is done, it's handled. The truth is that nothing could be further from the truth. It's what happens in our homes when children are looking to, to parents, how they live their lives, why Jesus is important to them. That's where disciple making takes place, that we bring our children to Jesus. That's the takeaway of verse 15. Let's look at verse 16. Here we get a closer look into the heart of Jesus. Let the little children come to me. Here we see this gentle, compassionate, safe, loving Jesus. I I picture him sort of down on on one knee, sort of bridging the gap between him and, and these children. Come to me. This loving, safe Savior. Don't hinder them, he says to the disciples. Don't hinder them. Let the children come to me. Let them come to me. They're they're included. 
They're invited. More than that, they're actually prioritized by Jesus. Contrary to the disciples' thinking here, right, that, that the, the rabbi, Jesus, the teacher, that, that he should be spending his time with those who are important or significant or meaningful. He doesn't have time for, for children who are small, young, insignificant, meaningless. Jesus turns that thinking, right, completely upside down. Children, those who were thought to be of little importance or low social standing, insignificant, were prioritized by Jesus. Jesus takes those that society said and the disciples said were, were not as important and he puts them in this place of being equal. And not just equal, actually exemplary. He uses children as an example, as we're going to see here in a minute. Should we be shocked by this? Should we be shocked by this behavior of Jesus? Don't hinder them. Let, those little, let the little children come to me. No, we shouldn't be shocked by this. This is consistently who Jesus is and, and how he operates, right? This is, this is what he does. Jesus is the guy that spends his time with sinners and outsiders and tax collectors. He eats with those that society says, you shouldn't spend time eating with them if you're really a, a righteous and holy rabbi. He meets with Samaritans. He, he frees those that are enslaved by demons. He touches lepers. He welcomes in and prioritizes children. Church, this is the Jesus that we follow, the, the gentle, compassionate, safe, loving, patient Jesus. Jesus who, who seeks after and, and goes after and, and grabs and includes those who we often think are, are unworthy or outside. This is what Jesus does. So, so why does this matter? What, is this, what does this mean for us? Do we live this same way? Do we live like Jesus? As we live, as we go about our day, as we prioritize our day and who we're going to spend time with and what we're going to say and who we're going to be with, who we're going to impact, who we're going to listen to, do we live like Jesus? Do, do we have his conduct? Is his conduct our conduct? Are his concerns our concerns? Or are we more like the disciples, picking and choosing who we're going to, to be with, who we're going to influence, who we're going to spend time with? Are we more like the disciples, picking and choosing? Uh, they don't, they're not going to get any of my time. They're insignificant. Do we prioritize those with, with power and money, social standing and influence, over others? Or do we make our way to spend time with those who, who are often considered outsiders, unincluded? Are we living like Jesus? Do we look after? Do we care for? Do we love? Do we pursue? Do we include? Everyone that needs to be brought to Jesus. 
So why? Why do you, you may ask why, what you're wondering, why does this matter? Well, it matters because Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these children. See, the kingdom of God is, is different than any earthly kingdom because it belongs to and it includes and it is made up of such ch- like children, people such as these, those of insignificance from a worldly perspective, those who, who are unimportant or unsophisticated. Jesus says, don't pick and choose, don't hinder because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't know about you, but that seems really significant to me. It seems really important that I would understand that, of what it means to to live for Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is at stake. In verse 17, Jesus doubles down on this teaching. Jesus says, truly, so truly important here. This means something. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. The kingdom of God is not a political principality Instead, it's the, it's the rule of God. Everything that, that comes, comes underneath God's rule and reign. His sovereign power. And here, Jesus uses this expression as a way to talk about and communicate about salvation. To enter the kingdom of God is to have a saving relationship with, the, with God through Jesus. To enter the kingdom of God is to be reconciled, to be saved by God through Jesus. We can be saved and we can be reconciled to the God of the universe through faith in Jesus. And the only way to have that saving faith, the only way to be restored in that relationship with God is to come to Jesus like a child we must become childlike. So what does this mean? Does it mean that we have to become impulsive like the 10-year-old in Disney? Absolute idiot slamming into the car in front of him? Does it mean that we need to become unable to control our anger so we just start hitting our sister incessantly does it mean that we become so aloof that we can't put our shoes on the right feet does it mean that we become ridiculously indecisive so we wear six outfits in one day or so defiant that we don't go to bed or so ridiculous that we watch the movie frozen over and over and over and over and only eat chicken nuggets No, of course not. Of course not. What it does mean, though, is three things. I want to talk through these three things this morning. The first is 
We need to have wide-eyed wonder like a child. Small children have this this wide-eyed, amazing wonder as they go through life, don't they? The simple, most basic things can often cause a child to be filled with this, this awe and this amazement. Sometimes the most, like, simple things. A child can become fixated on them and, and they obsess over them because it brings, that, brings them so much joy and peace and pleasure. They're just, just wonder fills their eyes. This is what God wants from us, that we would have this, this same kind of, of wonder and amazement for him, for his, his grace, for what he's done in our lives, that we would be filled with awe and wonder about who God is and what he's done in this world, that we would be amazed that he's chosen us loved us, that he cares for us, that we would be filled with joy so much so that we can't stop thinking about it. We become fixated on it. We can't stop talking about it. We, we tell everybody we know about it. Do you know God? He's amazing. We have this, this wonder in our lives that consumes our, our whole hearts and our whole lives. Second, children, children also have what I call an abundant faith. A small child will believe literally whatever you tell them. Whatever you tell them, they will they'll believe. They trust quickly and fully and wholeheartedly. A young child will, will go all in immediately by what you tell them. Now, of course, as, as kids grow older, they wind up questioning absolutely everything right but when they're young they didn't start out that way when they're young when they're a little child they have this this incredible amount of trust and faith abundant faith they take people at what they say and and they give them all their trust and all their allegiance church god wants that same kind of trust from us the same kind of confidence that a small child has that's what God wants from us we become childlike when we have this faith in him abundant faith in him knowing that that he will do what he says he'll do that he'll care for us that he'll be faithful we have this full-minded and abundant faith in him little children also have wholehearted love they love deeply they love deeply and and without hesitation like most families when my kids were young we have five kids 17 through 12 when my kids were younger we used to have a bedtime ritual you guys have that usually it was supposed to happen at like 8 30 but it always happened at 6 30 because we were like all right, let's do it now. It's like put on your pajamas, brush your teeth, Bible story, good hour teaching for me, <laughs> things of God. Prayer time, we'd do that, you know, prayer request or whatever, prayer time. And then we would do this, this amen. And then, and then the kids would go around and give each other a hug. Love you. Good night. Love you. See you in the morning. Good night. I love you. 
See you in the morning. Good night. I love you. See you in the morning. Over and over and over again. Every night. Good night. You know, seven of us. What was always interesting and, and kind of funny to me is when we'd have company over and oftentimes we'd have people from the church or people from Wheaton College over or younger people. They'd come and we just include them right in the, the ritual, right? Kids go get their pajamas and brush their teeth and come back, do the Bible story, do the prayer time. And then my kids would like make their way around the circle and some like college dude is like getting a hug and good night, I love you, see you in the morning. <laughs> like... All right, good night. Love you too. Kids have this ability to, to just give this wholehearted love without hesitation, no matter what. You ever see a, a toddler in an airport or at a park just walking up to strangers, hugging them? It's just this so funny, awkward, like, I love you too, you know? Guys, that's the kind of wholehearted, unhesitated, without abandoned love that God wants from us. He, he wants us just to love him freely, without hesitation, trusting him, worshiping him, giving him all of our focus, attention. So to know God and, and to be part of his kingdom, we must become like a child, full of wide-eyed wonder, Abundant faith and wholehearted love. And yet, it, there's more here, right? There's more here because Jesus, when he talks about the little children in the kingdom of God, he uses the word receive. Receive. So it's, it's specifically in our reception of the kingdom of God that, that we must be like little children. And here we see some of the genius of Jesus come out, the genius of his teaching, because Jesus knows that if there's anything unique about children, especially babies, the, the young ones that are coming to him, if there's anything unique about them, it's their total and utter dependence on others, on other people completely and totally dependent on other people. Children come into the world completely and totally helpless, and it lasts for years. They are totally dependent on others. Years before there's any sign of self-sustainability. I realize that some of you are parents of high schoolers and college students, and you're still wondering, when will that day come? But if we think about it, and children, especially little children, they, they need others to feed them and dress them and change them and sing to them and talk with them and hold them and carry them and move them and tuck them in. And they, they're completely and totally dependent on others. And what do they do? They do absolutely nothing. I remember having little ones in my home and thinking, little, like a little infant and thinking, why do I love you so much? You don't do anything. Guys, this is what 
God wants from us. This, this open-armed, unclenched fist coming to him in total and utter dependency on him. It's beautiful if you think, but it occurs to me that when God says that he wants us to be childlike, he's saying that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be sinless or righteous. Come to me like a child. You're a mess. You can't do anything. That's the bar that God is setting for us in this passage. To come to him like a, like a little child, fully dependent on him. I need you, Lord, for your, your love and your mercy and your gentleness. Save me. I can't do this on my own. It's beautiful teaching of Jesus to be like a, a child. That's his expectation. That's the threshold. That's the bar. That's what we need to do. Become like a child. This is how we are to come to God if we are ever going to enter his kingdom. Declaring our, our full dependency on him. Dependent on God for, for our every need, for our direction in life, for our hope, for our salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I'm struck by the, the simpleness, the beautifulness, the, the beauty of this passage this morning. God, it, it occurs to me how, how much you know us and love us and want us in this passage. God, I, I pray that we will be moved to be more childlike in, in our faith, in, in our understanding of you, that we would be full of, of wonder towards you, that we would have abundant faith and wholehearted love towards you. God, I pray that we will exemplify you, that we'll live for you as we help others follow Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.